So we're still traveling down from Capernaum. We've been traveling down from Capernaum since I can't tell you when. Actually, I went back this morning to try to figure out what chapter it was. I think it was 12. It may be 14. I'm really not sure. Uh, so we're on our way down the road, and we're in now in Luke chapter 18. We're going verse by verse right through the book of Luke. And this is where well, we left off on 34 last week. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the side begging. I, I think what I'd like to do, I, I'm not going to follow my notes, and that, you know that's dangerous. Uh, I'll, I'll have to back up to that. And they came, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great many number of people, blind Bartimaeus and the son of Timaeus, sat by the wayside begging. So what I want to show you here, I'm going to back up again. If I can. And it came to pass that as he came near to Jericho, that's Luke. This is in all three Gospels uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then when you get to Mark, it says, and they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho, and you read that and you think, oh my goodness, there's a contradiction in the scriptures here. Luke and Mark can't get their story straight, right? And I thought, well, that's, that's a hard sell for people that don't believe the Bible in the first place, you know. And that if, if you believe the Bible, it's, it's a little bit of a problem. How does that show up for you? I, well, that's not, I, I was trying to find something darker that would show up. I'm, I'm sorry it doesn't show up any better than this. Anyway, they left Capernaum, which is way up there. And they came all the way down the road. They came all the way over on this side. They came all the way down into Perea. We've been following this for months now. And then they went up towards Sychar. And once they got there, they started down this road, and now they're to Jericho, see? So that's where they are. And they're going to come on down the Bethany Road, and they're going to come down next week. They're going to be in Bethany, and then they're going to be in Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus is going to die. I don't know if you could hear that. I hope you could. Uh, but you think, now wait a minute. How come the two of them could not agree on uh, where they were? And here's the reason. I'm going to go over to a satellite view. This is current satellite view of Jericho. And the reason that they had a disagreement, they didn't have a disagreement at all. Actually, it's because Luke, <clears throat> I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to get all messed up here. Luke is a Gentile, all right? And he's talking about the Roman city of Jericho. And Mark is a Jew, and he's talking about the one where the walls fell down, all right? So really, there, I, I want to say there are two Jerichos, old and new. And you can see them on the satellite. This is old Jericho down here. This is new Jericho up here. If the, if the satellite imagery is correct, this is a refugee camp, and down here is a refugee camp. Now somewhere over in here is the Jordan River. The Jews came across, and there are the walls that they knocked down. Right? Now what's interesting is they've begun to excavate those walls. You know, a lot of people said, well, that never happened. You know, well, they've begun to excavate those walls, and I thought you'd like to see them. There, there are the walls that were knocked down in Jericho. That they're beginning to excavate. A little geography lesson there. I needed that myself to say, well, how can these guys not agree on what's going on here? You know. Um... Now Mark also adds a couple of things. Let's see if I got this right. I'll get it all messed up here. And this is Mark telling the same story. And when he had heard it, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Now, now I wanted to add Mark's words because I wanted you to see 
Well, first of all, when he heard Jesus was coming by, he was screaming his head off. All right. But secondly, he's saying, Jesus, thou son of David. And for a Jew to call Jesus the son of David, it's the same as us saying he's the Messiah, Savior of the world. Okay. So he's recognizing not just the deity of Christ, but the mission that Christ is on and casting away his garment. Now, this is a blind man that sat wrapped up in a garment beside the road most of his life, and he's casting away his overcoat. Now, what he's thinking is, in 10 seconds, I'll be after, I'll be able to see, and an hour from now, I'll be at pennies buying new clothes. So he's thinking, I'm out of here. I'm done with this whole blind business. I'm going to go see Jesus. So I just wanted you to see that what he was doing. Four things, you know. Uh, his name was Bartimaeus. It was as they were going out of old Jericho. He is recognizing him as the son of David or the Messiah, and he cast away his garments. Now, we know that Bartimaeus believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he believed that he would be healed. This man had faith. Now, Matthew adds to this account, if I'm at the right spot here, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside when they heard that Jesus passed by cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now we've got another contradiction. How are we going to deal with that? Matthew says there were two. Does this mean you can't trust the Scriptures? I don't believe that. I believe these Scriptures are as accurate as they need to be. You know, Are they going in or out of Jericho? Well, I think they're going out of old Jericho and into new Jericho. You know? Actually, there have been multiple Jerichos on many sites around that area, and the, the reason they kept rebuilding them, in fact, if Google is correct uh, and Nassau Space is correct, there have been many settlements in that area, and possibly one of the oldest cities in civilization there. And the problem they had was the daggone buildings kept falling down because they were building them on dirt that was loose, and you just can't build your house on sand. Anyway, uh, these men were between the two Jerichos, leaving the old, approaching the new. As uh, our president said, there's nothing to see here. It just makes perfect sense once you see it. But now we got this problem with Matthew that there were two blind men. Mark and Luke only mentioned one. You think, well, why is that? Now, the reason is, and I hope you don't mind me going down this rabbit trail about whether you can trust the scriptures, but people, love, people who don't want to believe love to see these little inconsistencies in the Bible. But you have to understand if you're going to if you're going to study your Bible first of all that Mark and Luke were not there. All right, Mark at this time was a kid, and Luke was a Gentile living many many miles away. They became well. Mark, I believe, was a believer as a child, well, as, as a teenager. But Luke was an adult position when he was saved Paul led him to the Lord and he began to follow Paul around now the two of them when they came to a time when they felt you know people were not getting the story straight they sat down and they went out and they tried to interview people to get and they wrote their gospels from interviewing other disciples now how is it they only have one and not two blind men well the answer is simple Bartimaeus was making a huge stink and that's what the disciple who was there, whoever they were interviewing, and we don't know where their source material was. We don't know which of the apostles they had talked to. But whichever of the apostles the two of them had talked to at one time or another uh, only remembered or only thought it significant to mention that Bartimaeus was the one making all the noise. There's no reason to think that these guys are inconsistent or lying. It's like when you see an accident or you see a fight and two men get in a fight 
And there's a third guy that's involved. A lot of times you'll only mention the two that are fighting because that's, that's what's sticking in your head. And I, that's all I think it is. Now, John Mark was actually a kid at the time. Uh, now, this is, I'm skipping ahead to Acts chapter 12. I know I'm jumping around, which is kind of good that we have it up on the screen. And this is Peter has been locked up in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 12. And now I just abbreviated that verse. And when Peter was come to himself, that's after the angel took off his chains, opened all the doors and led him out of the prison and pushed him out the doors. And Peter was in a sound sleep when this all happened. So when he was outside the, the prison doors, uh, and outside the gate, he came to himself and he thought, oh, <laughs> whoa, I'm free. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord had sent his angel and had delivered me out of the hand of Herod. And when he had considered the thing, now what do I do? He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark. This is the kid. All right, John Mark, he's a teenager and he, he wanted to be with the disciples and he followed the disciples whenever he could where many were gathered together praying. Now, you know the story. This is where Rhoda goes to the door. Somebody knocks on the door. The servant opens the door. It's Peter, slams the door in his face and goes back and tells the people, Brand, Peter's at the front door. And they said, no, it can't be. You know, didn't think to let him in. You know, but it's a great story. It's, it's a great comedy, but you get the point. Um, let me go one more. Mark, when he tells his gospel, when he sits down to write, he puts a personal note in that only... Mark mentions. Uh, it's in none of the other three. And there followed him a certain young man. We're now in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus is being arrested. And all of the disciples are fleeing. We haven't gotten to that part in Luke yet. And Mark is retelling the story about a young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man laid hold on him. That's the guys that came to arrest Jesus. Laid hold on John Mark by his nightshirt. And he ran right out of his nightshirt, and he said, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, unless you get some really bad ideas in your mind, understand that naked to a Jew means he had his underclothes on. It doesn't mean he was naked. A, a Jew would never walk around anywhere naked. You'll hear about Peter fishing, and it says he girded his fisher's coat about him for he was naked. That means he had his, his the, the clothes you wear underneath your overcoat. He wasn't naked in, in the way we use the word naked. Although the word could mean that. I mean, the, the literal definition of the word in the Greek naked could be what we call naked, but a Jew would never do that. They, they wouldn't even allow the Romans to crucify the men naked. They, were, they insisted that a loincloth be put on there. Uh, so that, it was just what, what he was doing is he had his nightshirt on and he ran right out from underneath his nightshirt. He's the only one that mentions that. You know. Let's go back to Luke. And hearing the multitude. Now what you can picture now is there's a whole crowd of people, mostly men, who are required to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. Mostly men, not all men. Some of the women and the children went along, but mostly men were on their way for the Passover. And hearing the multitude, Jesus is now traveling all the way from Capernaum. He's traveling and they're picking up people as they go along. Now all these people are beginning to believe. Every time they get an interruption, they see Jesus do a miracle and they're all beginning to believe that Jesus might be the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And they know that the Messiah is going to remove Rome and take over the world as a world leader. They know that. And they're right. He is going to do that. Just, just not in 30 AD. He's just not going to do it yet. Right? So every time they get an interruption, you will see 
the people are getting more and more irritated with having to stop. And then, then they, they, they have to find a place to camp. And they're anxious to see what this Messiah is going to do. But Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road, hears the noise going by. He asked what it means, and they told him that Jesus is passing by. And that's when he cries out. And he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And when they, they which went before rebuked him, he said he should hold his peace. They said, be quiet, be quiet. We're trying to get to Jerusalem. He just cried the louder and the louder. The, tire, the crowd was tired of all these delays. They wanted to get, get going. And Jesus stood. I always think it's interesting how Jesus does this. And commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What will that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Now, you'll notice in many instances, not all, but in many instances, he will command the person to come to him. Uh, even today, once we recognize our need, we have to go to Jesus. We have to call on him. And we have to go to him. We can't expect him to come to us. It's all the way throughout the scriptures. Come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden. Come. Come to me. You know, or... Uh, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let he that is in thirst come. And whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. It's always the invitation to come. So Jesus asked Barnabas, uh, I'm sorry, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? He says that I may see. And uh, you know, you often hear me say, you often hear me say, uh, Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's really an abbreviation of the plan of salvation. Peter does a great job of it when he says, we have to first repent and then we believe. And Paul, writing in Romans chapter 10, says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that's what he was doing when he called him, you know, the son of David, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we, well, Barnabas would have trouble with that because he, he hadn't been raised yet. Uh, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Faith faith is worked inwardly first and then it's expressed with our mouths. Now I'm skipping two verses obviously and verse 13 says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we, we have here an evangelical moment where we understand that we have to come to Christ, we have to recognize that He is the Lord, that He's God, come in the flesh. We have to, as Paul said, believe that God raised Him from the dead. And the reason for that is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the visible proof that God will forgive our sins through Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the guarantee of our salvation. That what Jesus said on the cross when He said, it is finished, literally paid in full, that it was in fact paid in full. We have to believe that with our heart and we have to confess it with our mouth. And then summing it all up, Paul says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Bartimaeus was doing. He was calling on the name of the Lord. Back to Luke. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Now notice what the people do here because it's going to be important when we get up to Zacchaeus. 
And the people were glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. And now, Luke says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now he's in the Roman rebuilt city of Jericho. It was actually one of Herod's uh, kingdoms was there. One of his, uh, I can't think of the right word, one of his uh, homes was there in Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. This fellow wasn't your ordinary tax collector. Uh, Jericho at that time was a major trade center, and as a result, they had multiple tax collectors. And having multiple tax collectors meant that they needed a chief tax collector. They needed someone who would be the commissioner of taxes. So Zacchaeus, although not very tall, apparently, was a very powerful, a very rich, and a very important person, at least from the Roman perspective, uh, in that city, a very important person, and in all likelihood, very, very rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who was... He sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was of little stature. He wasn't tall enough to see. He had all those people. Picture it as like a mass of people walking down the road or as a parade, and he's a, he's a, a smaller guy standing on the outside, and he, can't, he wants to see Jesus, but he can't see Jesus. Now look what he does here. And he ran ahead of the crowd, ran ahead of where Jesus was in the crowd, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. So many people in the street that Zacchaeus could not see. Now, I don't know if you recognize how undignified that is for a wealthy, successful adult to be running along the side of a parade and climbing up in a tree, but this man wanted to see Jesus. And he really was acting like a child. And that's what Jesus said, isn't it? Except you convert and become as little children, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He didn't care what the crowd thought. He didn't care if it embarrassed him. He didn't care if he was acting like a child. He just wanted a glimpse of Jesus. Now, we don't know why he wanted to see Jesus. We don't know what his plan was, what he thought would happen. There's no, there's no book of Zacchaeus that I'm aware of that explains what he was thinking before he actually met Jesus. My guess is he just wanted a glimpse of this one that he had heard forgave sins and he had heard called another tax collector named Matthew into his, uh, into his fellowship to follow him as one of his apostles. Now, maybe he just wanted a glimpse of Matthew. I don't know. Maybe he knew Matthew. Maybe he just wanted to say hi to his old friend. See, we don't know any of this stuff. But the last rich man that Jesus called to follow him walked away. This one is running along the side of the road just to get a glimpse of it. Now, the interesting thing about all of this is, is that in the middle of all of this parade down through Jericho, trying to get through New Jericho, which is a major city, Jesus stops. When Jesus got to the place where he knew Zacchaeus was up on a tree, he stopped and turned towards him, and the crowd parted so that Jesus could see Zacchaeus. And Jesus, I don't think Zacchaeus expected any of this. I, I really think he was just hoping for a glimpse of the Master. And now the entire crowd stops and turns and looks at this man up in a tree. 
Now, I, I don't know if you can picture yourself in that situation or not, but I can. Well, I can't picture me climbing any more trees, but I can remember a time when I would climb a tree. You know. And he said unto him, Jesus stopped. The crowd parted, looks up, sees Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, hurry, get off of the tree. Come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Now what's interesting to me is the crowd didn't like that one bit. They were all right when Bartimaeus got his sight back. But they weren't happy with the fact that Zacchaeus was entertaining the Lord, or more importantly, that the Lord would stay in the house of a tax collector. This is going to become the basis of next week's passage. And I just didn't think I had time. I got through this quicker than I thought. I could have tacked on that other 15 minutes here, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, at this point, see, when they saw it, they all murmured. So you can picture Jesus with his arm around little Zacchaeus, walking towards Zacchaeus' house, and everybody around him is just murmuring like a hive of bees. They're just not happy with the fact that this so-called Messiah would hang out with a tax collector. When they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he is going to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And we're told that Jesus stood and said to the Lord, Now, did that verse miss verse 9? No, no, no. So, we don't know at what point, let me back up to that last verse, we don't really know at what point this verse 8 occurs the disciples are with him. So we have a record of it. Matthew was there. Matthew took good notes. When they all murmured saying that he was gone, gone, past tense, gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. So at this point, they've walked off. If I'm reading the text correctly, he's already perhaps in Zacchaeus' house or he's on his way to Zacchaeus' house. I don't know. And Zacchaeus stood. Now, if he stood... It almost implies that he'd been seated, so perhaps this is after supper. We don't know. Well, the disciples are obviously there. Maybe people are standing around on the outside. We don't know. But Zacchaeus, so we, we just know that he's speaking to the Lord. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Now you remember the other rich man, Jesus, who Jesus knew was very covetous, said, Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Jesus did not make any such requirement of this man. We have no indication that Jesus told this guy he, he should do anything. But Zacchaeus has been born again. And he recognizes his sin. And he wants to deal with it in his own way. There's no law that says you have to give half your money to the poor. Jesus did not require it. Jesus made that as a, as a demand of the rich young ruler only because Jesus knew that his problem was his love of money. And he wanted to point that out. Jesus doesn't command any of us to give all of our money to the poor. He doesn't give us, command any of us to give half of our money to the poor. Neither does the law. The law doesn't require. However, if you steal something in the Old Testament law and you're caught, you're required not only to pay it back, but to pay it back four times. But... If you steal something and you voluntarily confess and go to the person, you're only required to give back what you stole plus 20%, one-fifth. Which is interesting because Zacchaeus here is standing up and he's saying, 
Half of all the wealth that I've legally earned, I'm going to give to the poor. And anyone that I've defrauded, I'm going to give fourfold. Why would he only give half? Because by the time he pays back everybody he cheated, the other half is going to be gone. I mean, it's going to be gone. That guy is a crook or was a crook. And then Jesus' response to this is beautiful. Jesus said to him, this day of salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of David. Now this, they, they, I'm assuming that there are people standing around on the outside seething about the fact that Jesus is eating with this man and they're even talking with one another. More importantly, that Jesus is now saying that this guy is saved for as much as he is also a son of Abraham. And I don't believe Jesus is pronouncing that, that Zacchaeus is a Jew when he says he's a son of Abraham. Now you know... The, the Jewish leadership thought they were saved because they were sons of Abraham. I mean, they were physical descendants of Abraham. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what's going on here when he says he's also a son of Abraham, I think he's referring back to Genesis 15 and verse 6, where it said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I think he's saying not that he's a physical descendant of Abraham, but he's a spiritual descendant of Abraham, of which all of us are if we believe God saves us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what it's talking about. He believed the Lord and he counted it in for righteousness. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This isn't the only time Jesus ever sought out an individual to be saved. It would be interesting to do a study of that, of Jesus and evangelism. Take your Bible and look up every time Jesus sought someone and, and, and led them to himself. I'd say led him to the Lord, but that doesn't make sense. Led them to himself, you know. This, however, I, I've got three commentators that have said this. I, I don't know how to search it to find out if it's true. This, however, may be the only time in the New Testament. Hey, I just thought about Abraham. He just, he just showed up at Abraham's door for lunch one day, just on his way to destroy Sodom. So this may be the only time in the New Testament where Jesus just pops in and invites himself to dinner and to stay the night. This may be the only time in the New Testament, at least while Jesus walked the earth. But there is another time where Jesus does this, and that's at the end uh, in, in Revelation chapter 3, when it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. And, and this is the thing. You know, when I, when I read the gospel that first time, Truthfully, I found it hard to believe that God would kill his son to make it possible for me to go to heaven. I really had trouble with that. And, and my prayer, the prayer that, that there is no specific prayer that saves you. Uh, let me start with that. So the words that I used were not exactly uh, the four spiritual laws or, or Billy Graham or uh, Billy Sunday or anyone. It, it was out of my own heart. But it's not the words that saves you. It's the Holy Spirit that saves you. I mean, whatever you say, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you know it. And, and, and you're born again, and you know that. I mean, you, you, can, you, you sense the change. You're aware that you were alone, and now you're no longer alone, at least in my case. I, I was aware of sins that I had committed in the past that I wasn't aware of before. I mean, I, I didn't see myself as a sinner until the Holy Spirit came into my life and showed me what what my sins were. Uh, 
I'm not sure I'm using the right verb there. Uh, but the, the point that I'm trying to make, when I prayed, it wasn't a very delicate prayer. I just said, Lord, if this is true, if you actually killed your son to make it possible for me to go to heaven, I'd like that to be true for me. You know, So even though you're not seeing Zacchaeus say, you know, Lord, I repent of my sins. Well, he did actually. He said he repented of his sins when he offered to pay everybody back. So he, you don't hear him saying, uh, I believe you are the son of God. What you hear him saying, you're the son of David, which is I believe you're the Messiah. So, I mean, the words aren't exactly the same. And that's not what matters. What matters is what transpires in your heart when you go to God and go to do business with God. That's what matters. So I said, Lord, if this is true, if you killed your son, to make it possible for me to go to heaven, let it be true for me. Now, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't say, Jesus, I didn't say, come into my heart. See, a lot of people will say you have to pray that prayer. I didn't say, Jesus, come into my heart. In fact, Jesus didn't come into my heart. The Holy Spirit did. But then the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same person. And the Holy Spirit and the Father are the same person. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity came into my heart. I had no idea what was going on. Some people say, well, before that I had demons. After that I had Jesus. That's true. I don't know if I had demons before, but I know afterwards I had Jesus because I'm riding down the road. And I'm thinking about that silly book I was reading last night and that silly prayer that I prayed. And then I realized someone's watching me. I just felt like there was this huge eye in the sky watching me. And every time I did something, it made me nervous. I mean, I was no longer alone. It was no longer me. It was we. And I wasn't comfortable with the we that was part of me. It was just freaking me out. I mean, and so we had a, we, the Holy Spirit and I had an interesting couple of years while we got used to each other. And I'm sure he had a couple of choice words about me because I had a few choice words about him. Like, would you just leave me alone? You know, and of course his response is no. Stop stealing, stop lying, and stop cussing. Oh, give me a break, will you? Guy can't say anything anymore. You know, and it's just this ongoing relationship with what's going on in my heart. But this is the, what this is what happened. He was standing at the door of my heart, knocking on my heart. I heard his voice. I opened the door. He came in and he began to share his life with me. And he will never leave us nor forsake us because he made that promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. <clears throat> thank you for this uh, warming trend. Thank you for that day, that night. Oh my goodness, 1971 in August, just before going to my my first uh, high school class to teach woodshop. What a joke. And uh, bowing my head and saying that prayer and changing my life, Lord. Thank you for changing my life forever. And now I know that I am forgiven. And it's my prayer, Father, that everyone, regardless of the type of prayer that they pray, regardless of when they prayed it, it's my hope that everyone has experienced that regeneration from the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. And they know, Father, that they are no longer alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.